This is the Endangered Species Podcast, the podcast by aspiring men for aspiring men from Phoenix, Arizona. I'm Sean Bollendorf, together with my co-host, Logs, the Loginator, Logan Bonjean. How you doing, man? <laughs> Loginator. I'm good, man. How you doing? That's kind of a weak nickname. We need something better than that. I love Logs. I'm cool with you never calling me Loginator again. <laughs> so we're clear. <laughs> No hat today. Notice that. No hat. You're just going straight buzz cut. You trying to save money or? Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's it. <laughs> I actually did get a buzz cut part, partly because I was like, well, that's it's just cheaper that way. I could just buy a razor and never pay for a haircut again. That's what I'm saying, man. Buzz it's my own hair. We're in our Mountain Man series, Logan. We're talking about the character of Kingdom Men. Matthew 5, Jesus went up on the mountain and sat down as rabbis do to signal I'm about to teach. It's become known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's the most famous sermon ever preached. Yeah. And and if you can live up to Jesus's words in the Sermon on the Mount, which no one can, but what an uh, ambition to do so because Jesus says, this is how life is done in the kingdom. Yeah. Over and over, he says... Blessed are those who are like this. Blessed are those who are like that because they will be called children of God because theirs is the kingdom of heaven because this is how it's done in the kingdom of heaven. And so we're talking about how to become a mountain man. We're trying to start out each week with a gnarly kind of mountain man story, which I'm loving. Yeah, and you've you've got an interesting one to share. Well, this one happened just a couple of years ago and just like an hour and a half from here. Yeah, where close we to are. where we are. Yeah, right here where we are in Phoenix. John Waddell, 62 years old, is out in the back 40 one day and somehow manages to fall down a 100-foot deep mine shaft and live. Which is crazy in and of itself. Which is crazy in and of itself. Uh, He's there for several days. He gets severely dehydrated. I forgot to mention that at the bottom of the fall... He broke both of his legs. So you're screwed. You're you're done for. <laughs> you're done for. And then he finds out with both legs broken, he hears some rattling. Oh, no. And he finds out in that mine shaft at the bottom are three rattlesnakes. At that point, I'm like, all right, God, <laughs> it's t- time to meet you face to face. Let's do this. Well, that's the difference between you and me and John Waddell because John Waddell killed those three rattlesnakes. <laughs> yep. What a beast. So three days later, his buddy Terry comes driving out to the back 40, gets out of the car. He hears John screaming and ultimately calls authorities and they bring John out of there. No rattlesnake bites, but two broken legs. What a mountain man. Wow. What a legend. That's this week's Mountain Man Award. John Waddell. John Waddell. He deserves it, man. (laughs) He deserves it. At the beginning of this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed, blessed are you if you're like this, blessed are you if you're like that. Over and over again, Jesus says, blessed is the man and the woman really who X, Y, or Z. And you talked about last week what that word blessed means. Why don't you give us a review, Logan? Yeah, like we mentioned, blessed in in Greek is makarios, which it means happy. That's what it means. Um, And like we mentioned last week, it's it's the kind of happiness, the kind of joy that is... um, completely independent from the circumstances of life. So it's not like your fleeting happiness that comes and goes based on whether life's going good or life's going bad. It is a steadfast, deep, uh, perseverant type of happiness and type of joy. That's what Makarios is. That's what Jesus means when he says, this week, blessed are those who mourn. 
And that's, that's what we're going to dive into. Blessed are those who mourn. I love that. When you mentioned living differently uh, or above the circumstances, you said a, a blessedness or a happiness that's not related to our circumstances. It made me think of the legend missionary uh, to the Alka Indians of Central America, Jim Elliott. He wrote in his journal one day, Oh, to live differently and above this world, both in public action and private manner. Lit to live differently and above this world. Think about that, above this world. Set apart. That's, that's what God talks about when he talks about holiness. Hundo P, above your circumstances. I love that. So yeah, like you said, this week, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. And it's so strange, you know, if we piggyback on what you said, makarios equals happiness. Uh, ultimately, Jesus said, happy are those who are sad. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what? Isn't that interesting? <laughs> what is he getting at? Happy are those who mourn. Uh, what do you make of that, Logs? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't, man, I, I think it could mean a handful of things. But uh, I think what we're going to dive into today is, man, there's a, a deep kind of joy that comes from those who learn how to be sorrowful, to be sorrowful in the right way from those who learn how to actually mourn over their sin, who, who learn how to actually lament that, um, ironically, they're on the other side of learning how to do that. There's a deep kind of joy that can come from uh, being real and facing up to the really hard things, the really messy things, the even the sinful things in our life. So I'm excited to dive in. It's really interesting. Twice in the last 20 seconds, you said the word learn. It's as if you believe that mourning or being a good mourner is something that we have to learn. Yeah, I know I'm not naturally good at that. So I think that's something that I've come to. Re- I'm still not naturally good at that. Still, still something I need to continue to to learn and understand what it even means to do that. And uh, I don't know. I guess like mo- most of my life, it's been um, pretty emotionally shallow, at least on the exterior. I've I've just like, especially growing up, just struggled to communicate my emotions, struggled to face up to hard things, and so it was always just easier to stuff it. It was always easier to at best ignore it um, and and just kind of move past it. Never did I really learn how to actually process those hard things, actually acknowledge hard things, even like messy things in my life and, and have a healthy level of grief and mourning and lamenting over those things. So that's a skill I'm still trying to learn. Well, that's so interesting because in corporate America, among businesses in the last five or eight years, there's this character trait, this word that has become very important to those hiring. And it's not a word I ever would have predicted would have become important to CEOs and directors of HR. And it's the word empathy. You know, whoever thought that, you know, uh, Apple and Facebook and Amazon and Netflix, that these companies would really want to dig into whether or not these potential team members for their companies are able to empathize. And yet it's become a major focus. And, and yet 2,000 years ago, I think that's what Jesus was talking about here when he said, blessed are those who mourn. It's, it's not just about mourning your own hardships, although that's a big part of it, mourning your own sorrows, because to follow Christ can be a lonely life. But it's also learning how to be sorrowful for others. Like it says in Romans 12, uh, share the happiness of those who are happy and the sorrow are the, of those who are sad. We're supposed to rejoice when good things happen to those we love. We're supposed to be devastated along with those who are devastated. We're supposed to join in their pain. Yeah, I think Jesus models this even 
describes him when we see a, a, a very clear prophecy of Jesus in Isaiah 53. He's called a man of sorrows. Sean, what do you, what do you think that means? Like, why, why was Jesus called a man of sorrows? Dude, what a question. I, I love that. Well, Jesus knew loneliness. He knew pain. He knew suffering. Like, think about it. Who could relate to Jesus? <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, he was going to save the world. He was going to be savior of the world. He was going to bear on his back and on his soul the sins and rebellion um, of the entire world, past, present, and future, when he suffered and died on the cross. There's no one who could relate to that. Uh, I know I feel most sorrowful when I feel most lonely, when I feel like nobody can relate. I think that's a major aspect of Jesus's sorrow. Think about what he said to his disciples in John 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Yeah, Jesus was a hated man. He was. And there's a reason Isaiah 53 called him a man of sorrows. Jesus was a man of grief. Jesus could relate to pain. Jesus went through pain. I, I think what's so interesting is the times I've felt closest to God in my life is not the times when I've had some amazing quiet time sitting there memorizing scripture, although I love to do that. It hasn't been some time when I've been in church singing a worship song, although generally I love to do that, although I think some worship songs are kind of weird. The times I've felt closest to the Lord have been in times of extreme grief. I remember at age 22, I was a college senior. Uh, I got a phone call. Um, I picked up the phone and the guy on the other end of the phone told me that my best friend from high school had taken his own life. And man, I fell to my knees. In fact, I was in front of a group of people. It was, but I had no shame. There was no, I didn't care what anybody else around me thought. I just immediately fell to my, fell to my knees and started sobbing as a grown man. I was just devastated. And then I had to tell my, my kid brother, uh, who was probably 16, seven, no, he's probably 17 at the time. And I had to tell him in the next five minutes because he also loved my high school best friend and my high school best friend had loved him. And I remember just crying, going outside and sitting on this, on this lawn near this street and while cars were driving by and I just started pouring out my heart to God. God, why did this happen? God, why did this have to happen? And just begging God to bring him back you know, something that obviously wasn't going to happen. And, and my, I put my arm around my brother who came and sat next to me and we just bawled and sobbed. And dude, I got to tell you, man, within 10 minutes, I felt the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I felt God closer than I've ever felt him in my entire life. And I knew people were praying for me and I was praying and I truly feel like I felt the blessing of those who mourn. Hmm. And thanks for sharing that. And uh, it's cool that you even mentioned the Holy Spirit too. I mean, Jesus, Jesus mourned and we just got to see that clearly. Uh, and who comforted Jesus when he mourned? The Holy Spirit, the comforter. Um, and so for us too, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we have the blessing of, of, of receiving the Holy Spirit when we start to follow Jesus and the Holy Spirit among many different um, incredible um, functions in our life is the comforter and comforts us in our sorrows. Yeah, I love, again, that you quoted Isaiah 53, that Jesus was called a man of sorrows. There's an old hymn that I love 
that goes like this. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Alleluia, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Alleluia, what a Savior. Think about the pain and the suffering and the loneliness and the rejection that Jesus went through to bring us to the Father. We shouldn't take that lightly, and yet I think we often do. Yeah, and you even mentioned earlier, John 15, Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. I, I think of John 16 as well. Um, so Jesus just says, in this world, you will have trouble. He promises that to us, to his disciples. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Um, so there is this interesting um, dynamic that comes with mourning, that comes with grieving, where we mourn, we grieve, we're honest with God about our sorrow, and then on the other side of it, we can take heart because God has overcome the world because Jesus has won the victory. And you know what's interesting to me when it comes to the mourning man, <laughs> the mourning person? Yeah, are you a mourning person? <laughs> um, is that today there are a lot of young guys in particular who don't know how to control their emotions. They totally measure their relationship with God on feelings. Um, they're driven by whims emotionally. They evaluate their quiet times by what feelings are produced or invoked in them. And to a degree, I understand it. I mean, just a few minutes ago, I said, I felt God was close to me in that time of mourning. Um, but the irony is, somehow at some point manliness came to equal emotionlessness mm. right and so even though i think a lot of guys are over emotional now uh there was this message years ago that kind of lingers with us that the real man is a stoic he's ready to laugh but never to hurt or to show pain um he's he's a tough man and here's the thing i i totally believe in toughness but to never mourn, to never engage sadness, that's against Christ-like manhood. That's against Scripture. I think of Ecclesiastes 3 where it says, there's a time to laugh, but there's also a time to weep. You know, think about the loneliness Jesus faced. Even his own family didn't have a clue who he was or what he was about. They mocked him at times. I think about in Mark 3 where it says um, that his family went to take charge of him, and they said he is out of his mind. Can you imagine? Here's Jesus, the Son of God, the only perfect human in the history of the world. And his family is so disoriented spiritually that they go, we got to go slap some sense into this guy, right? Mm -hmm. Could you imagine? I mean, we've all felt misunderstood. Jesus was a man of sorrows. That is being misunderstood. A scripture that's really ministered to me over the years is Psalm 2710, where it says, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Mm -hmm. Your family's not always going to understand when you follow Christ. They're not always going to understand when you make him the highest priority, your God in this world. And you guess what? Jesus can relate to that. Even Jesus's own family didn't get that. You mentioned Ecclesiastes 3. I also think of Ecclesiastes 7 uh, verse 2. It just says, it, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting for death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. Sean, you've mentioned to me before that it's actually good for your soul to go attend things like funerals. Why do you say that? Well, even that scripture, you know, it's better to go to a house of mourning than a house of feasting. If you go to a house of feasting, you leave with a full stomach. 
if you leave a house of mourning, you leave with a full soul. It's so healthy to attend funerals of, of friends, of even distant relatives. My old neighbor in the town where we used to live, if they know somebody even remotely, they will attend the funeral if it's in the continental United States. And it's unbelievable. It's pretty remarkable because they have a bunch of kids and they load everybody up and man, they will go and they will take three days and do a round trip and, and go and attend a funeral because uh, it's very honoring to the family. It shows them that you care. I think one benefit that comes away from it is you realize your own mortality. You realize, man, it's healthy for my soul to grieve. Grieving is an important thing. And back to your word learned, grieving is something that we need to learn. I think one of the most important things that we can talk about, Logan, when it comes to being a mourning man is what makes you mourn? When I think about Jesus, one of the questions that comes to my mind is what made him laugh? What made him cry? We know that Jesus had to have done both. In fact, it says several times in scripture that he wept or that he wept bitterly. Um, we got to assume he smiled and laughed, although it doesn't say much about that in the gospels, but that makes me get a little introspective. You know, what makes me sad? I want the things that, that made Jesus sad to make me sad. Think of Psalm 51 where David says, uh, that the sacrifice of God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. And then he goes on to say, oh, Lord, you will not despise. In other words, uh, when we come before God and we're broken over our own selfishness, our own unforgiveness or lust or any sin, that God is actually pleased by that and that he backfills life. He fills us up when we come to him. That, that is a true sacrifice. Yeah, Jesus was clearly grieved over sin, over death, over evil. And like you mentioned, Sean, I think we need to take stock of what what causes us to mourn we need to ask ourselves, like, is it our sin? Does our sin cause us to mourn? And I think that specifically in the Beatitudes right here, when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, I think this is one of the specific, if not the specific things that he's talking about. Blessed are you if you mourn over your sin. And that sounds kind of intense, but uh, I, I don't think I don't think we should take this lightly. I don't think Jesus is um, speaking lightly here. I think of what David Guzik says. He says, Jesus does not speak of casual sorrow, for the consequences of our sin, but a deep grief before God over our fallen state. And so even in light of what we talked about last week, I think we need to have a deep grief before God over our fallen state as the right response to that spiritual poverty that we talked about last week. It even makes me think of, of James 4, um, verses 9 and 10, which says, Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will lift you up again. Another verse that sounds pretty intense, but I think what he's saying is, man, as we follow Jesus, we're going to be convicted of our sin like that. That's going to be a natural response. And like we've talked about lamenting, mourning, confessing our sins, that's a that's a humble process, an important process for us to learn. It's part of being a human with real emotions. And so I, I think as we learn how to do those things, as we, as we experience repentance, which is a requirement for the Christian because we continue to sin it also becomes a blessing. The The end of James 4, 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Uh, we'll be lifted up by God because he gives grace to those who are humble. He gives grace to those who, who mourn over their sin. Yeah, and again, scripture tells us to be joyful. It tells us to rejoice always, right? Like it's not saying go around and be this 
dirge of a person, so to speak. But uh, I, I just keep asking myself that. What makes me laugh? What makes me cry? There are things that should make me mourn. There are things that should make me grieve and cry. Peter wept bitterly over his sin. Jeremiah wept over not just his sin, but the sins of his entire country. Yeah. Jesus wept over Jerusalem, if you remember, in I think it's Matthew 21 or so. He looks out over Jerusalem and says, how often I have longed to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. They didn't want it. They didn't want to obey scripture. They didn't want to put their hope in Jesus as Messiah. Jesus wept over that. I should be saddened by the things that sadden God. I think the sorrowful man is a man of depth. I think the glib man is not a spiritual man. Sin's not a laughing matter. What, what breaks God's heart ought to break my heart as well. Again, believers should be known for the happiness, for their rejoicing. Again, rejoice in the Lord always. But at the same time, I should also be known for my depth that there are things when, when people are hurt in the world, when nations are war-torn. Uh, man, you look at what's going on in Ukraine right now, and seeing some of the footage and reading some of the some of the news, which I'm praying for friends over there, um, and some of you guys are listening over there, and just know we're with you. We're praying for you guys. We we care deeply about your safety, your well being, your closeness to the Lord. Um, and that said, we're grieving over uh, what's going on there. Jesus said that there will be a day that will there will be so much hurt and pain in the world that it will be dreadful. Yeah, what you're saying is true. It, it's not just a mourning over our own sin. It's a mourning over sin. It's a mourning over evil. It's a mourning over death. I think that's why Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus. He knew what he was going to do. Like He knew that that wasn't the end of Lazarus' story. He knew his plans uh, to raise him from the grave, and he still wept, and that confused me sometimes. But I think I've come to understand that Jesus wept because he was angry. He was angry at sin. He was angry at death. He was angry at the fact that uh, he was righteously angry at the fact that death had entered into God's good creation. And we should mourn that. Like we, we should not take lightly sin and evil and death. It is something to be mourned. Um, but, but Sean, in, in light of all of this, I think it's important to, like you've even mentioned, just find, find attention. Uh, because we, again, like you said, as believers are called to be joyful, to be happy. So what is the point where mourning has gone too far? Like what is the point where us mourning has gone past a kind of holy grief, a holy guilt, um, and, and to a place of just unhealthy, um, kind of beating ourselves up. I think there's a line that, that could be crossed when it comes to mourning. And I think usually that line is, uh, when it starts to become self-focused, like when it becomes to, when it starts to become all about you. Um, man, I've seen this in my own life. I really think there's a difference between having a healthy level of grief over our sin and trying to add to the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross by like pummeling and shaming ourselves over our sin. And man, I've caught myself doing that. I've caught myself not just mourning my sin in a healthy way, but going so far that, man, I can't even accept grace. Like I, we need to be able to mourn our sin, but we also need to be able to accept God's grace. And I need to remember that it's not more righteous or holy to beat myself up for beating myself up sake. It's not more righteous or holy to hold God's grace at arm's length because it makes me feel like more righteous to just like beat myself up. There's a difference between that and having a healthy level of mourning over your sin. And I think that um, that that's a tension you need to find and, and you need to ride it. Um, and that's something I'm really, really trying to learn how to do for sure. Yeah, I think a second Corinthians 710, Paul said, 
that there's a worldly sorrow uh, that leaves you feeling guilty long term. And then there's this godly sorrow that leads to repentance and leaves no regret is the language he uses. And so ultimately, obviously, we want to experience godly grief, godly sorrow, godly mourning. So we've talked about two different kinds of mourning, mourning our sin, of course, uh, and then mourning other sin or just pain in the world, man, mourning death, mourning destruction, mourning that things just aren't right here, dude. We're aliens. We're sojourners, as Peter said in his letters. Um, We're citizens of heaven. We shouldn't feel comfortable here on earth, ultimately. And so because there's so much hurt, there's dude, I remember one time. Uh, I was in India. I was in Mumbai, India. And we were riding back to the hotel in this uh, rickshaw, a friend of mine and I. And I noticed we were kind of going the long way back. I didn't know if he was just trying to make extra money on us running the meter up or what. But dude, no, he actually had a plan. He wanted to take us to show. But no, he actually had a plan. He wanted to show us Uh, the red light district of Mumbai, basically the prostitution district. I didn't know that. He didn't tell us. Obviously, I didn't want to see that. But dude, what I saw that day marked me. Because as we took a turn down this one sort of back alley, there were these small like three-story shacks is the best way I can describe it. Just this shanty town of home after home after home uh, essentially filled with prostitutes how did i know because the rickshaw driver started to tell us and because the women opened up their windows and were and were calling for us basically i think he was honestly trying to get us uh, to stop by and pay some money and he'd get a cut of that that's how it works over there but dude obviously if that didn't break my heart enough what broke my heart more than that was when i began to see girls as young as 11 12 in those windows. It absolutely shredded me. I couldn't sleep that night. When my head was on the pillow, I remember just thinking, what wretch runs this city? What politician can sleep at night knowing that what I saw that day is going on under his rule? It shredded me. And I mourned. And that should be mourned. And, and I got to tell you, it was a long time before I was comforted over that. I think God wanted me to sit in that, man. I mean, just think about the level of evil and the level of pain. Those girls are permanently damaged for life, emotionally, spiritually. It broke me. Yeah, it's stomach churning. And something you mentioned is, is true. Just the idea that things are not how they're supposed to be. And that is to be mourned. Um, I even think back to the garden. I think back to creation and the way that God created everything to be good, to be good, to be good, and how our sin and evil shattered the world and how the world descended into evil. Um, I even think all the way back to Genesis 6 when God says that the world is filled with violence, that all have become corrupt, and it's sobering. But we look around and we see the ramifications of that. And we see that in that story that you mentioned, and that is to be grieved. It's to be mourned. We should be alarmed if we don't feel any kind of reaction to that, any kind of grief or, or stomach churning level of mourning, um, man, that evil is to be lamented. And so I think this is when people struggle with the idea that God can have anger and wrath and, um, 
can can be furious at things. We're like, why would we want a God like that? Man, I, I think in my mind, I turn to why why wouldn't we want a God who's angry at evil? Um, I would I would be concerned if we had a God who wasn't angry and wrathful towards evil and towards death and towards sin that causes things like that. And so we as followers of Jesus, we uh, as people who have morals written on our heart by God, it's no wonder that our, our knee-jerk reaction to horrible encounters and stories like that is to mourn. And so, yeah, Sean, like you mentioned, we we do see, I think in this verse, blessed are those who mourn. There is personal sin to be mourned and to be grieved. And then there's also sin in the world and evil in the world and, and communities and systems around us to be mourned. Um, but let's take a turn to Man, how can we actually practically, I, I mentioned a couple times earlier, we got to learn how to mourn. How do we learn how to mourn? Like, what does it look like to become a mourning person, a mourning man? Yeah, let's take it home with some action steps. Because you're right, becoming a mourning person or a mourning man does take some learning. It takes some work. And so the, the first step I would recommend is that we work at introspection. Again, we're commanded in Scripture to be joyful. Uh, but I think also we're supposed to confront smugness and glibness. A certain amount of introspection is healthy. I, I made fun of a lady one time because she told my wife, she was an older lady, she was a believer. And my wife was like, what are you doing, you know, in this season of your life? And she said, I think God has really called me to a season of being a contemplative, you know? And I remember we left that conversation. I looked at Kim, I'm like, so what does she do? Just sit around and contemplate all day. She just thinks like, what is she doing for the kingdom? What is she doing? It's, for so, the... it's so monkish. <laughs> yeah. I was like, come on, do something for the kingdom. Well, the longer... I think that sounds awesome. Well, yeah. Your personality, you'd eat that up, dude. <laughs> <laughs> like, we need, we need contemplative people, man. We need prayer warriors. We actually do, man. We actually do. Now that I'm older, I understand the value of that. And I understand why that was meaningful for her. And I guarantee you, she's good at mourning. Um, so work at introspection. The second action step, I guess, that comes to mind is to learn how to grieve losses. Don't deny loss. It's important not to just sweep losses under the rug and, and forge ahead. It's important to take time to grieve. Yeah, man. I think like I mentioned earlier, we we really don't know how to lament properly. I mean, we, it's easy now with iPhones. It's easy with streaming. Um, man, you can really sweep stuff under the rug like you mentioned. And you can kind of find a quick fix and and then just move on. Uh, you, you can really avoid for a long time. I don't think you can avoid it forever, but for a long time, you can avoid actually feeling anything. And this is, again, something that I really need to grow in, but I need to learn how to actually stop and take time to lament loss, to, to, to lament evil, um, to lament even mistakes that I make myself um, and, and take time to grieve those things. Um, and, and then once I've processed it to move forward, um, but man, it's my tendency to just stuff it and keep running. Keep I think it's up. cultural too. You know, I've learned a lot from my black friends over the years. If you attend a funeral, someone dies, the majority of the congregation that day is black. You're going to see some lamenting. Mm -hmm. You're going to see some, some crying out in pain. You're going to see some people who are going to let God and everybody, so to speak, know how much they loved that person, how much they're going to miss that person, how this uh, ending should not have been. Um, and you know what? I think in in the the Caucasian culture, or at least our Western European Caucasian culture, there's a lot of suppression of pain. There's a lot of stuffing it down. And in general, I don't think that's very healthy. 
man, I see that especially among men. You mentioned it earlier that we've conflated masculinity with emotionlessness. We're like, I don't know where that comes from, but I see it like in, in our culture that like, man, if you, if you mourn, if you grieve, if you show any kind of emotion, that's not manly. It's not a manly thing to do. Um, but man, if, if Jesus, like we've talked about before is true North for masculinity, uh, then we have to know that man weeping, grieving, mourning is a part of true manhood. And so I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. The third action step you can take to become a mourning man is to spend time with hurting people. Uh, I think it's really important to spend time with those who are suffering. People who haven't suffered or at least uh, even spent time with the suffering uh, tend to be smug. As I said earlier, I, kn- I know a pastor who actually won't hire someone unless they've suffered. And I heard him talk about it one time. And he said, the reason I don't hire pastors unless they've suffered personally is they tend to think that others suffer because of something they did wrong. Now, they would never say that. They would never, no no believer would ever say, I actually believe that. That when someone else is sick or someone else lost a child or went through some horrible loss like that, no one would ever say, well, it's because, you know, that's where Job's friends went wrong though, man. That's what Job's friends accused him of. They they didn't know of anything specifically that, that he might've done to deserve what the consequences of what he was receiving. That's like the language that they used, but man, that was their smug assumption because they had never suffered the way Job had. They just, they made assumptions and they just decided, oh, and it's probably because of some sin he committed. And so, man, I think that, I think that's got biblical basis to it. I think that makes sense. Yeah. And so if you're not a person who's suffered, at least spend time with people who have suffered, at least spend time with hurting people. Man, I remember this must have been 12, 13 years ago now, but I came home on a Saturday afternoon and my wife told me that uh, some of our neighbors had lost their 10-year-old daughter that morning. She was hit by a car. She, She got excited about going to an event. She ran out in front of an SUV and her life was taken away. She died within an hour. And I remember thinking, man, what do we do? And obviously what you do is you go be present with those people. Friends show up. Friends show up. I don't care if it's a, an event where you're rejoicing like a wedding or if it's something like that. If you're a true friend, you lean into it. You don't, you don't lean out of the lane. You go in there and you join them in their pain. But I got to tell you, man, and this is extremely selfish, I didn't want to go because I didn't know what I would say and I didn't know what I would do. And obviously conventional wisdom says, don't say anything, just go be with them. And so that's what I did. I I hugged her. I I hugged her. I hugged him. I cried with him. I, I sobbed. I was shaking, crying as a grown man. And it was an awful, awful thing. And, and they're believers. They're, they're unbelievable people. I remember I saw the dad about probably two weeks later, uh, I was walking one of my sons to school and I saw him and I go, man, how are you doing, man? And in in front of about 10 other parents and teachers, he comes over and gives me this massive hug and and started uh, essentially shouting in my ear, Jesus is so good. Mm. Jesus is so good over and over. Do you think he's glib? Do you think he's smug? dude? He is a morning man. And I remember watching him going, that is how you mourn. They had so much pain and they still have so much pain over losing their daughter. But man, they have depth and they have depth of character that most people, myself included, will probably never know. 
and it was important for me to be around him because I grew as a morning man just being there around him. Yeah, man, Sean, I, I think it makes me think of an, another action step. That, and, and you actually mentioned it earlier, but man, we, we need to cultivate empathy intentionally. Will you flesh out a little bit more of what it looks like to do that? Yeah, I think early on as a Christian, I was competitive before I became a Christian. And so I just brought that competitive nature to my Christianity. So dude, this is embarrassing to admit, but when I would find out about some Christian failing morally early on in my Christian life, when I would hear that, I would secretly internally rejoice because I thought, man, I'm a better Christian than that guy. One, one less to be better than. I want to be the world's greatest Christian. I mean, you talk about deranged. You talk about not understanding the gospel. <laughs> I was a believer, but I didn't even know the gospel I believed. Um, when others fail morally, we ought to hurt for them. We ought to pray for them. We ought to question ourselves, man, what did I do wrong? How could I have held this person accountable better? How could I have done better? Now, it's not always my fault or it, if I don't know the person, it's not my fault at all. But when others fail, man, we need to cultivate some empathy for them instead of judgment. The second thing I would say is to try, and I mean really try, to place yourself in others' shoes. Again, Romans 12, share the sorrow of those who are sad. Um, each person is usually good at sharing others' sorrow or sharing others' joy. You might think, well, yeah, I'm naturally better at one of those. Mm -hmm. And yet Romans 12 says, share the happiness of those who are happy and also share the sorrow of those who are sad. And so I think that's what it means to cultivate empathy intentionally. Yeah, it's awesome. I think one last action step that we can take to learn how to mourn well is to ask God to search us and know our hearts. I think to pray through Psalm 139, specifically the last couple of verses, 23 and 24. And we need to be asking God to reveal the extent of our sin to us so that we can um, actually really mourn it. Um, we, need to, we need to be asking God to help us feel the weight of the sin that we do recognize. And we need to be asking God to reveal the sin that we don't even see in our lives um, in order to actually be able to mourn it. So I think Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 is a prayer that we can adopt um, for ourselves. The, the back half of this verse, which we didn't get to talk a ton about, is they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. That even makes me think back to what we talked about with James chapter 4 verse 10 when it says that uh, if you humble yourselves before the Lord, he'll lift you up. Um, man, the, the back half of of honest lament and grief and mourning over our sin, over the sin of the world, is that we will be lifted up by God and we will be comforted by him. And that is such a sweet consolation. Um, when we think about, I think sometimes in my mind, I think it'd be easier to just, again, like I mentioned, stuff it and just move forward. But man, there's no comfort in that. There's no lifted up in that. Um, man, in order to actually experience the comfort of God, I need to be honest and mourn my sin and the sin in the world. And um, there, there's just a lot of hope that comes in that. No wonder that that type of person has deep joy and, and happiness. No doubt about it. As we close, Logan, I do want to encourage guys, man, take a look at David because so many of the Psalms are songs of lament or songs of sadness. My enemies attack me. Uh, my enemies surround me. Uh, oftentimes, even in the Gospels, uh, the Psalms are, are quoted to describe Jesus's situations. So we can really learn how to mourn from King David. David would go into the deepest, darkest, depressing holes of introspection and get so down. And I, I think a lot of times when I read these Psalms, I'm like, dude, if he stays there, like he's going to, 
run himself into the ground. He's going to bring on long-term de- depression. But it's amazing how almost every Psalm, he ends up turning the corner and coming back to praise, gratitude, and rejoicing. Yet I will rejoice in God, my Savior. You know, it starts out with my, my enemies surround me, and then it's break the teeth of the wicked. There's revenge there. And then ultimately it's, yet I will rejoice in God, my Savior, over and over and over again. And I think that's the part where he got comforted. Yeah, there's only, I think, a few Psalms where he doesn't come back to that. But like you mentioned, the large majority. Bad days. Yeah, bad, bad days for sure. But, but look out, that's it. That's, those are some key words to look out for in those Psalms. Look for yet. Look for but God. Because there is that turning point to, to comfort and hope. Members of the herd, I hope you guys will take today's discussion and the scriptures that we talked about seriously. I, I do uh, hope and pray that you will intentionally become a morning man, create and cultivate a morning heart without becoming a sad, overly introspective, stoic type of guy. I or without beating yourself up too much, yeah. And without beating yourself up, yeah. Uh, I want to encourage you guys to lean in uh, to that blessed and deeply happy life that comes through, ironically, the sadness that is true mourning. Man, thanks for being with us this week, you guys. We've touched on what it means to be poor in spirit, what it means to mourn. Next week, we're going to talk about what it means to be meek. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Man, I can't wait to dive into that with you guys. We'll see you next week.